Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hi, my name is Grigor Dimitrov, and you're listening to Tennis Podcast. Hi, I'm Mats Villander, and you are listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. Just a few short minutes, Catherine Whitaker, after Andy Murray earned himself a place in the Australian Open final for the fourth time with a four-set win over Thomas Burditch. I'm David Law, and I was part of the BBC Radio 5 Live commentary team. And my word, there was plenty to get our teeth into tonight. We could go on for an hour talking about that match, couldn't we? We certainly could. We're, we're standing next to the media workroom and all the uh, British journalists are on the phone to their editors trying to trying to negotiate extra space in tomorrow's papers, I think, because the story-wise, there is so much to go around. I mean, obviously, first and foremost, Andy Murray's uh, Grand Slam finalist yet again. And, uh, I mean, it might not have been the highest quality match to get him there, but it was in terms of intrigue, it was right up there, both on and on the sidelines of the court and then subsequently in what he's he said in his post match interview so i mean there's there's just so much to get our heads around as uh, as commentators and journalists it's sensational well let's just start at the beginning shall we because first of all there was an hour and 16 minute long opening set which Thomas Burditch credit to him managed to win despite having a, a set point against him the second set was weird wasn't it six love half an hour third set Andy Murray won it was it Andy Murray won it yes it was Andy Murray won that as well 6-3 I think he did uh, with a break of serve and then the final set was close tight he eventually he got the break at the end when it's 7-5. So he's through in four sets, but that only tells a fraction of the story. My goodness, I was commentating in that first set for five live. And I noticed on the, the courtside monitor the eyeballing that was going on between the two players for a start. I mean, it was tense out there. And these two, whenever I've seen them before, have always seemed to get on pretty well. But obviously there's been that backstory with the coach change. Now, Andy Murray's basically accused Oslot the media, of creating that situation and that tension. But they weren't doing much to defuse it, were they? Certainly, but they were stoking the fires out there. I mean, I think... It, I mean, it started with some business over tennis balls. There was a soft tennis ball which had to be placed and ber- replaced, and Burditch was making quite a big thing of that. And then there was some definite eyeballing at the change of ends. Then Murray complained to the umpire following the first set tie break that Burditch had sledged him at the change of ends that he had said I think the suggestion was that he had said something like good set Andy or something sarcastic or chippy like that I've no idea if that's accurate I well what what uh, he 
claims to have done is told the umpire that Thomas Burditch had said something to him. Thomas Burditch then said, I said, well played or good tennis Thomas to himself. Now, who, who knows? Who knows what was said? And also, you know, there are 15,000 people packed into a, into a stadium. There's plenty of noise going on. It'd be pretty easy to mishear somebody anyway, wouldn't it? But who knows what was said? Absolutely. We'll never know. But even, even if you disregard that, inf- that incident, even if you uh, disqualify that from the evidence, then there were... Then Thomas Burditch took a bathroom break and then Murray said, all right, well, I'm going to take a bathroom break then, which is hard not to see that as a little bit of little bit of gamesmanship. And then there was plenty more sort of no further big incidents, but there was plenty more... It, you could just feel the tension, couldn't you? You could really could feel it. And, and Andy Murray admitted to that tension in the press conference, and he, particularly in the first set, and it did seem as if he might have celebrated the odd point here and there in the direction maybe of Thomas Burditch's box or or at least that's the the uh, the suggestion I thought that maybe Burditch was getting from it hence walking past him and eyeballing Murray and he clearly was doing that uh, so there was plenty going on and, and you know I think Andy Murray admitted to the fact that some of that tension was there and then you had the support teams of the uh, the players being particularly well focused on by the television cameras and uh, and yes even Andy Murray's fiance was picked up uh, saying one or two things that are suggested to have been a little bit fruity but uh, whether she actually did say those who knows but it's all very interesting the intrigue is there and it uh, reminds one a little bit of uh, the uh, Stan Wawrinka Roger Federer match from the O2 Arena at the end of the year with uh, Mirka Federer and all the suggestions over that but the bottom line is Andy Murray's through and uh, you particularly I think uh, and well all of us but but I know you were particularly impressed with the way Andy Murray Holders handled his post-match interview on court he he blew me away actually and i've heard him i've heard him speak eloquently uh on the subject of Emily Meresmo and female coaches and everything before and almost you know his actions have spoken louder than his words up until this point you know we spoke in the last podcast about how he made some very brave decisions in order to back Emily as his coach and give her her full chance as his coach which which i do think was very brave of him um, but then to say what he said both on the court and then he reiterated it and, and elaborated in his press conference and one-on-one interviews afterwards, um, saying he, he talked a lot about how at the end of the year, particularly when he lost Love and One to Federer at the O2, that was all Amelie's fault as far as the majority of the press was concerned. It was a sign of, it was a sign of that relationship being dysfunctional or never having been right from the start. And he's just said... I hadn't. He said he had less than two weeks total training with her. They hadn't had an off season together. It was utterly ridiculous for those conclusions to have been drawn, and she should start receiving some credit. Um, and he wasn't. He wasn't afraid to make the point that I think there has been a certain degree of sexism in the way that her appointment has been treated. He wasn't afraid to tackle that head on. He. I mean, in the short interview I just did him, he said the words. There are good male coaches, there are good female coaches, and vice versa. The, the quality of the coach is, ab, has absolutely nothing to do with the gender of the coach. And uh, I, I 
I struggled not to give him a hug, frankly. <laughs> I really did. Glad you didn't. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't as well. But, but uh, yeah, I felt quite emotional, really, to have someone like Andy Murray say something like that. Um, and he's a, he's, a, he's a credit to the sport. Certainly is. And uh, he's through into the final of the Australian Open. Um, and it's, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it, to see his, his development uh, over the last 18 months, the journey he's gone on from winning Wimbledon, that peak that he managed to scale, then the, the sort of flat feeling. And I spoke to Judy, his mother, in, in an interview a short while ago, which uh, you'll be able to hear on Five Live over the next uh, day or so, and probably in Five Live Sports um, on, on a Thursday evening, just about the sort of flat feeling he had uh, over the period that followed, and obviously the back surgery as well. And now he's on the upward curve again. It is never boring covering Andy Murray. It's always something going on. And, uh, and this is another, another real achievement, and it is going to be fascinating to see, no matter who comes through the other match, what happens in the final, because... It's going to be a war. It's going to be a war, and it's a war he's ready for. I mean, physically, he looks like a, a gladiator. He looks he barely looks out of breath at any stage tonight, and uh, you know that he'll back himself until till seventy sixty eight in the fifth. You know, he, you know he feels that physicality and endurance is just isn't an issue for him, and I'm sure Novak Djokovic will feel the same if it's him. But at least that's something you can take out of the equation for Andy. There's there's no, oh, are you still suffering from the, you know, the aftermath of your back surgery? None of that's on the table anymore. Sweep that off the table. It's just, are you good enough to win this? Um, and he might not be come Sunday, but it's it's refreshing finally for that to be the question, the only question with Andy Murray. The interesting other element for me and I, I, I tweeted this midway through the match because it really occurs to me that we, we spend a lot of time saying oh Andy Murray just needs to quieten down on the court and he needs to understand that he you know like when Lendl was there he needs to shut up and concentrate and not mouth off and all this if he wants to play his best tennis I'm I think sometimes the more aggro is going on the better he plays John McEnroe style. I mean, John McEnroe's always fronted up that he he subconsciously does it to fire himself up. And I'm sure if you charted a graph of points one, John McEnroe performance level following some sort of outburst or incident or whatever, it would uh, correlate quite closely. So I'd, that's not unheard of in sport. And I, th I think you're quite right. Whether it's a conscious decision of, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a bit petulant now to fire myself up. I don't think it's anything as direct as that. I think he just sort of allows himself that fle that room to express himself. He's just in the moment, I think. Uh, actually, and also with McEnroe, I think that that wasn't always the case. I think he occasionally it worked like that, but with him, I think he, he's, he sometimes hurt him. He sometimes concentrated more on the grievance that he had with an umpire, for instance, than he did about playing tennis. It might affect his opponent in the process, but I think Andy Murray's level, the, the angrier he gets, I mean, not necessarily at himself. I think when he starts getting angry at himself, he has a problem. I think that's where, where you can draw the line. If he feels, if he starts to sort of beat himself up, I think he plays worse. But I think if he starts to have a bit of a cause and you start to get in his face, 
you're really asking for trouble. Well, that's... Uh, well, then I have a question for you. Do you think it was a deliberate tactic from Burdish tonight to, to try and get under Andy Murray's skin? Because if no. it did, it backfired monumentally. I don't. I think it was the tension out there of the moment. That was my reading of it. I mean, I was surprised how conf confrontational Burdish was. And at the moment he did it, I thought, you're messing wrong with the wrong guy here. This is not a man to engage in anything other than a tennis match. You want to keep his emotions out of it. You wind him up, you've got problems. Yeah, I, 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 w I want to agree with you, and I think I probably do, because Thomas Burditch is, is a delightful bloke, very mild-mannered, and I'd struggle to believe that he could go on the court with a sort of deliberate tactic of provocation. I really, I really would be surprised if that's the case. But then equally, I was very surprised to see him... Yes, there was tension. It was coming from Murray's side as well, but it almost felt like Burditch was leading the way with that tension. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, it, it, I was surprised at how much that tension expressed itself. And uh, I think Emily Mresmo's done a small uh, mini press huddle with some of the French journalists tonight, because I've seen a couple of tweets. And Mresmo said Andy found it very difficult to see... Danny Velvedu in Burditch's box tonight. So he says it was created by the media, but can it have been completely created by the media or is that just his contrarian way of, you know, he likes to do that sort of thing, doesn't he? And, you know, he's entitled to. Well, we've all had a good time, haven't we, for the last <laughs> few hours anyway. Uh, I don't really care about anything else. All I know is I've had a great time. And I hope everybody has who watched the match, who listened to the match, and you'll be able to listen to live coverage of the final, the men's singles final, Andy Murray against either Stan Wawrinka or Novak Djokovic, live on BBC Radio 5, live on Sunday morning. And I guess it will be around about 8.15 in the morning, UK time. You can also, on BBC Two, if you watch the match, press your red button, if you like, and listen to us at the same time, through your telly, Catherine. Yeah, for, those are dream tennis-watching conditions right there. Telly coverage with David Law commentary. There's nothing more you can ask for. Who'd have thought it? You know, after all these years of giving me a hard time on the tennis podcast, she says something as nice as that. What would be your chosen drink if you're, you were in that armchair of yours in those perfect tennis watching conditions? What would you be drinking and eating? Well, it depends because it's going to be sort of 7am or something over in the UK. So I can't say a gin and tonic, can I? Oh, you just have. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, well, there we are. Now, before we get to that... We have the small matter. First of all, let's before we talk of the uh, the, the women's uh, uh, side of the draw and, and, and the final we have there, which we will get on to, um, we have Novak Djokovic against Stan Wawrinka. What do you think is happening there? They, you know what? They are one of my all-time favourite matches of, of the current era. The last two years, when they've, they've, they've collided, I've loved those matches. Me too. Me too. Um... You're not going to ask me to pick, are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you think this podcast is? <laughs> oh, goodness me. Well, I picked Novak for the... F I picked him to win it, didn't I? So I have to stand by that. But, cool. I mean, if anyone's going if, if to stand in his way, I think stands the man. Um, and he's actually walked around for most of the two weeks with a T-shirt that says on it, stand the man. I don't think he's going to be the man tomorrow. Personally, I, I think he, he could. We've, we know that. The power he has, he's actually able to take things out of 
Novak Djokovic's hands. And there are very few people on the planet that can do that, but he can. He has that otherworldly thwack on the ball that just makes you shudder. It, it's a similar feeling I get when I watch Madison Keys play. It's like, blimey, cool, blimey, what a shot that was. But I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. I think he will probably push him close, but Djokovic is absolutely on fire at the moment. I, th I think I tend to agree. I think he, I'd be surprised if he didn't get a set, um, possibly two, but I think, I think you're right. I, I'm afraid to say I think you're right. We're getting um, on far too well. Despite the fact that Stan had the best possible preparation today, he got to meet two local guide dog puppies, and I made sure I was, I was booked in for that particular uh, media appearance. It was the highlight of my fortnight, and I'm sure Stan's as well. Even if he goes on to win the title again, meeting those guide dog puppies will still remain the highlight of his fortnight. They were adorable. You get all sorts of content on the tennis podcast, don't you? What a treat you've just heard about, guy. Dog poppies as well. Right now, the uh, the matches today, first of all, relatively straightforward for Maria Sharapova over Ekaterina Makarova. And um, Serena Williams really pushed, though, against Madison Keys, who proved to us, if we needed it being proved, just what a star she's going to be. She's the real deal, without any shadow of a doubt. Um, her arsenal of, of weapons is extraordinary. Um, however, Serena Williams is uh, is really suffering. There's no doubt she's not she's not making a mountain out of a molehill, illness-wise. I mean, you can you can hear from them. I mean, she had a coughing fit midway through one of her post-match interviews. She's really suffering. But I only think it's a tickly cough. Personally, I don't think she's unwell. I, and she said as much today. I think she's all right. But I think even a tickly cough can affect your sort of lung capacity and your general feeling of sort of lethargy, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the, th the fact that she was able to battle through that today, despite um, how she... Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't think, you know, she's at death's door. I think she's got a cold. But you know how rubbish a cold can feel sometimes. And that's, you know, when you don't have to go out and play a tennis match. So um, Actually, if I get a cold, I'm, I mean, I just don't do anything. I, I just lie there. Maybe she should just stay in bed. I'm sure she'd like to. Maybe that's the plan for tomorrow. She's got a day off, crucially, which is bad news for Maria Sharapova. Um, you know you know how I think that final's going. You know how th I think it's going to go as well, don't and you? And you know how desperately wrong I think you are. Just to remind you, I think that Maria Sharapova, for the first time in more than 10 years, is going to beat Serena Williams in the final. I said it on day one, Catherine Whitaker. You said the opposite. Well, we've both predicted the finalists correctly. Oh, haven't we done well? Got numbers one and two in the world, and they're in the final, just as we said. We love putting our necks on the line by predicting the number, number one and two seeds into the final. One of my favourite things I've seen on social media today is uh, a tweet that's gone around with a picture of Grigor Dimitrov taken in the year that Sharapova last beat Serena Williams, which was July 2004 Wimbledon final. He was about four years old. I, I was told earlier today that actually she, she also beat her the, the tour finals that year. So uh, that's not completely right, apparently. Is that definitely true? Oh, so, so it was 2004, but not the yes. Wimbledon final. Okay, 2004 then. Well, Grigor Dimitrov was still only about four years old mm -hmm. or seven years old or whatever he was. Anyway, it's been a it's long time. It's only 10 time. years ago. He was 14. It's been a long time, is my point. It's been a heck of a long time. 
and uh, 10 years worth of matches are going to be whizzing through Maria Sharapova's mind pretty quickly because there's a lot of them to get through as she walks down the Champions Walk on Saturday. But don't forget what Thomas Berditch did to Rafael Nadal after 17 in a row. I know, see, I'm good at predicting upsets like that and I'm still not predicting one on Saturday. So there you go. We shall see. We shall see, Tennis Podcast listeners. Hope you've enjoyed this edition. We'll be back very soon. Catherine? Uh, any uh, Dora updates for us? The world is on the edge of its seat, David. Sadly not. I'm still searching for Dora, the explorer. The search goes on, and we'll be back to update you soon. <laughs> deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.